Michelle Matthews, and I'm Senior Vice President of Purpose-Built Communities. And today I'm so excited to be speaking with Mashonda Taylor, who is the Executive Director of the Woodland Foundation in Birmingham, Alabama. I'm Michelle Matthews, and I'm so excited to be able to talk to Mashonda Taylor today, who is uh, the Executive Director of the Woodline Foundation, a purpose-built community in Birmingham, Alabama. So, hi, Mashonda. How are you? I am really good. How are you? It's so good to see you, even virtually. I can't wait to see you in person. <laughs> yes. So, um, you know, I always start these by asking the question just, you know, how are you doing in this moment of, uh, you know, racial tension and civil unrest and the COVID. Talk to us a little bit just about how you and your family are doing. Well, I, I think for the most part, um, everything is, I miss my family. So, I, you know, I, I get to, I live by myself. And so, because I'm doing a lot of work within the community, I've pretty much been away from my family in the traditional sense. Um, like I was saying before, my grandmother is 80 years old and that's my heart. I love her. So we've had to teach her how to use duo and um, different technological things for her so we can see her so she can see us. But for the most part, everything has just been so, it's been interesting. It has its ups and downs. Like the, the work in itself has always been hard and complicated, but I do have a glimmer of hope because at the end of the day, I think that we can solve some of the systemic issues that have been happening within our community. Um, when you say the world is watching, truly the world is now in tune um, there is nothing else for anybody to do but pay attention to the issues that have been happening, not only within our communities, not only local, citywide, statewide, but across the country. So it's just been, it's been interesting to see everything play out. You know, I've been taking care of myself emotionally, just trying to get to the woods. I think I, I try to go away somewhere into a remote place every weekend just to be away from noise, away from social media, away from just all the other distractions going on, just to be quiet. So for the most part, I'm good. Today, I'm really good. I feel good. And I'm so glad to see you. <laughs> yeah, well, that's an inspiration to me. I have to think about how I, how, I, um, how I get away. Well, you know, in 2019, you were selected to be the executive director of Woodlawn. So you have a long history with the foundation. I'm curious before we jump into what's happening in the neighborhood and giving you an opportunity to brag and, and share a little bit about Woodlawn and and what's going on. How are you also experiencing this this moment as an um, an e in the role of ED now? Even though you've been involved as an African American female, as sort of the new executive director, talk to us a little bit about how that is wearing. Uh, how well are you wearing that? How easy is it? Yeah. Um. Oh, that's a good question. And, and it's so funny. People are like, "Don't say that's a good question if you don't know the answer." No, I have the answer. I think it's been, I've been working at the foundation for eight years. So I started out uh, very much so in an admin capacity, grew into my roles, you know, whether that be on the program side, uh, more on the COO side, and now sitting as the executive director, I think I've had the ability to see the community in all aspects, right? I see our work, um, the internal things that we need to do, even the external things and how we're working within our community, how we're developing leadership with not only internally within our organization, but then externally within our community. And I, I, I look at it like now was the time. As weird as it might be, I was hired 
literally I found out I got the job on February 14th. Happy Valentine's Day to me, right? And started the job March the 1st. The 13th sent my whole entire team home and had to figure out and navigate what does this look like? How do we virtually work together? How do we still serve our community and still have a presence within our community? And I just think that, you know, I'm a God person. I believe that in divine, you know, ordination and things happening on purpose. I just don't understand and see how a leader that was new to our community could have came in and just kept things moving. And I'm just, I'm just excited to know that I sit in this transitionary space that I can make sure that my staff is okay, that my community is okay. And then we're actually solving the problems that we've been wanting to solve for a long time and thinking innovatively and not looking at barriers so much anymore, but looking at the fact that we can truly be the community quarterback and be the person that's stable. That's the greatness about our organization and what we do and the model and what we do is that we get to think about the long-term issues of our community and, and granted, we are helping our community partners as they're transitioning and figure out like, what is, what is the pivot? What do they do? How do they now serve our community? But we're the stable force. We're the one that's convening everybody together and keeping everybody calm and trying to figure out, okay, how do we fund ourselves now? How do we work with our community partners to be better so they can suit, be well suited to serve our community? Describe a little bit for us the neighborhood in which you, you know, work in terms of how long you well you mentioned you've been there eight years, but how long have you been in the community and kind of what's uh what's some of the things that you really want to share so we get a sense of Woodlawn? Oh absolutely. So Woodlawn is a historic neighborhood. We have we serve about fifty eight hundred people within our community. And there's just so many moving pieces here. And so when the Woodlawn Foundation was started in twenty ten, there were already organizations working here within our community. And so we were able to basically be that convening piece uh, where we're bringing all of our community partners together, truly thinking and being the vision keepers for our residents. But, you know, Woodlawn is a very interesting place, historically single family. Uh, we have a, a central uh, business district uh, within our community, probably about three to five minutes away from the airport, seven minutes from downtown, truly a vibrant community at one point. Of course, with white flight, people left our community. And with that, a lot of the resources. But for the most part, we have a very strong historical context with relationships when it comes to our matriarchs and the history here, because a lot of people did stay. And so we've been truly working alongside um, our organized neighborhood associations. So Birmingham is one of those places where we have uh, 99 neighborhoods, 23 communities, the Woodlawn community actually makes up one of those communities. Four of them have neighborhoods within the Woodlawn community and truly organized in the way that we have leadership here and people really invested in wanting to see a change happen within their own community. And it, it, we, we always have this conversation about like the whole gentrification conversation and what does that look like and, and, and displacement. You know, we think about economic development specifically at the Woodlawn Foundation and we try to bring power to it. We want economic development to be within our community, but we also want to make sure that we're putting guardrails in place. So the residents that have been here for a long time and historically have put roots here and raised their families here can truly benefit from our revitalization. So, you know, thinking out of the side of the box when it comes to property taxes and trying to understand how we can do policy shifts to figure out how we can continue to grow here and develop here, but make sure that our residents actually are sustained within this community thinking about workforce development what does that look like we know that you know we have income problems within our community 
And so if we want people to actually own and, and be a part of this, we have to give them the ability to have an understanding of what does career look like? What is truly sustaining your family look like? So, I mean, our work has truly been the pillars through the 10 years. You know, a lot of major developments, whether they be the building that we co-developed here with Rev Birmingham, who is our commercial re- revitalization partner. We have a, a lot of different things. We have a federally qualified health center. We've got the YWCA here who's started affordable housing here. We have 64 townhomes that we did uh, a low-income housing tax credit deal here. Now a school. We've just developed a $15 million project where we converted an old Baptist church now into a charter school that will be serving 420 kids in a few weeks. There's just a lot of different things that we've done on the sustaining piece. And now we're looking at, and I think in, in my tenure and thinking about my leadership and my team, we're thinking about now developing people and growing them and making sure that they're able to truly be a part of everything that we do. You know, one of the things I would just, so that's a lot. Wow. You've got a a lot of things that you're doing. That's, that's great. And we're going to dig down a little bit into sort of some of those and and give you more opportunity to kind of share so we can have a better sense of what's going on. The, The thing that struck me as you were talking was in your description of community and description of Woodlawn and its place, I got, I, I got the sense that you were focusing on the positive and thinking about, yeah, here's some gaps that we have and some, some things. And, and the reason I'm highlighting that and I'd like to get your perspective is I think a lot of times when we think about the neighborhoods in which we work, the narrative that we sometimes hear and sometimes accidentally sort of propagate is that the neighborhoods are all in distress in every part of the neighborhood. And that's why we need to be there to, you know, sort of transform. Kind of what's your thought about how in this particular moment with a race and equity lens, you know, the, the, the right way to language and to provide a narrative for your community that honors the legacy, honors what's good that's going on, but also brings a sense of urgency to maybe where there's some things that need to be righted. Absolutely. When I think about the four different neighborhoods of Wilmont, and they're all very different, right? And you have so many variants, like economic backgrounds within our community. And it's crazy. One of the neighborhoods, Oak Ridge Park, is one of the safest neighborhoods in our city. And when we think about economic development, when we think about revitalization, we think that, oh, it's just we need to be helping people. We need to save them. And that's not why we're here. I think about us as an organization, we're here to make sure that we are helping to sustain and bring access and resources that might not have been given or placed within our community, but then also develop and grow people to do and lead for themselves. So like I said before, I know Woodlawn is super organized. Of course, you know, people look at us across the city and they're trying to figure out like, okay, how did you bring all these different people to the table? But everybody is wanting and striving for the same things. So when I think about the whole conversation about race, and even when it comes down to when we're speaking about how we're serving and, and serving people, it's not so much like I'm serving to for, I'm, I'm working serving with. You know, one of the examples that I want to make sure that I highlight in this conversation, when we were talking about food insecurity, truly a, a, not only an issue that's been happening through the tenure of our work, but specifically now within COVID, We knew that when it came down to it, our residents were going to need some assistance when it came to that. 
But we also started to see that the residents started helping and serving each other. So when it came to the food pantries, people started volunteering from the community to start delivering things to people within the community. And it's in service to each other. And I think all the things that we've been trying to do for the longest time, where we were always the ones carrying uh, the baton, now they are truly doing it for themselves. And it's like, no, it's the conversation. If you give me the tools and the access and the skills, I can do it for myself. And I think when we think about systemic change, we think about all the barriers that have been put in place, particularly for people of color, neighborhoods of color, no, they will rise to the occasion if given the right access. And so we're seeing it play out on an everyday, everyday occurrence. And it's just really exciting to see. And it's also changing the narrative about how we as organizations serve and work with our community. Like sometimes it's not, it's not for us to provide every single response and answer. Sometimes it's for us to give them the ability and the space so they can do it themselves. I love that in that it's not a one size fit all. And there's some things that you have to really lean into. And then there's some things, like you said, you just have to really kind of get out of the way. And you're really focused on sort of bringing some of that cohesion that was already there, but maybe lifting it up so that people um, can see us. So, um, you know, we're always interested in how has COVID and the pandemic affected your community and how have you as a quarterback been sort of uniquely positioned? You've shared a little bit about that, but give us a little bit more sort of color to how you all are sort of navigating this as a, as a community and what some of the results are. So immediately when COVID hit, we started thinking about what are the main things that our community, like what are the things that they will need? And we started convening our leadership. So not only our neighborhood associations were on a, a weekly leader, leadership call, we also had representatives from our major community partners. We had people from Red Birmingham, like I said, that were doing commercial revitalization within our community. We had representations from the business association, just to make sure that we were paying attention to what the needs of our communities like were and, and, and thinking outside of the box and being ahead of the curve. So we knew food insecurity and rental assistance would be one of the first ones off the bat. And so we started convening all of our food insecurity partners. So people that had food pantries, anyone that was serving hot meals, uh, even working with a traditional business owner, uh, we knew that the students weren't going to have food for a week because the school had to take a gap in service. So, you know, we partnered with this business to basically fund the, the students eating for free and our first responders eating for free for that entire week. And we saw and served over 1,100 people within that week. It was two to 300 people a day. And so we've been convening. I have to make sure that I shout out my team members, David Liddell and Jason Meadows. They are leading a weekly call with about 20 food providers, making sure that they're getting access to fresh fruits and vegetables, whether that be through the USDA grants or Jones Valley Teaching Farm, where we have farms within our community where they're harvesting and giving fresh fruits and vegetables for free. And then even figuring out what does the transportation system look like and, and making sure that we're getting, if you cannot come to the food pantry, how can we get it to the people within our community? They're meeting weekly. And, and so one of the things that I used as leverage as the community quarterback, I can ask for funds to continue their work. So we did a COVID ask and a lot of people were like, are you going to ask for money right now? And I said, absolutely, because our community needed it. So we started giving money out to our community partners so they continue their work because 
they were already serving people, but we knew that they were going to be serving more. And so I was on a phone call, one of the initial phone calls with uh, one of our food, major food distribution pantries here, Christian Service Missions. And they were saying that we will serve and we'll have to serve 60,000 people for the next six to 12 months. And that's across our county. You know, and I know Woodlawn is a small number and that is 5,800, but even still, I want to make sure that our, our residents are getting access. Uh, the other piece that we did, and I'm super excited about this because we've been wanting to figure out what's this communication tool between our, our community and our partners. One of my staff members, Morgan uh, Montiel, she went, she went home one night. 11 hours later, she came, she came back to us with an app. So this app has become our central hub when it comes to our COVID response. It talks about masks. It talks about where you can get tested. It talks about where you can get food if you are food insecure. And it's become this linchpin that's connected not only our partners, but it's also collect connected our residents. We have been trying to figure out a way for years, years to connect to residents because you know it's expensive to do flyers or newsletters. You could have done an email newsletter, might not get there. We know people have access to phones and they're using them daily. So whether that's through our app, which is in the Apple, I'm going to do a plug. It's in the Apple store and the Android store is a Woodlawn United community app, or it's a progressive web app. If you do not have internet access on your phone. So we thought about all the different things or barriers that could prevent someone from getting access to it. And, and it's been, a, it's been one of those connecting tools for us. And then we are also using it for public safety. So if someone sees something or someone dumping or some type of activity, they can take an anonymous picture. It's submitted through the app and we're providing it to our East and Southern precincts. So it's just been something that's been really great. Talk about being innovative and being thoughtful. A lot of our partners don't get to do that. Yeah. I remember when you shared with the Purpose Built Network, some of the other EDs, the work that you're doing. And I find that that really is sort of your leadership and the community quarterback at this moment requires, you know, sort of that that leadership. It requires having the relationships that you all have built and nourish. And it requires seeing sort of hope and opportunity so that you can identify different ways to do things that, like you said, you may not have had this, this space before. I'm, I'm really interested then sort of as you see about the, the work that you all are doing. So you're, you know, doing crisis kind of thing, but you're also laying foundation for long-term success. How do you see yourself sort of coming out of this in terms of when the need is not as intense as it is now to connect to what your broader goals are, the broader things that are more strategic and sustainable that have to happen in the, in the community? Oh, absolutely. So I think about, so let's talk about more or less on the, on the leadership development piece. So for a long time, I've been wanting and thinking about what is this leadership woodlawn? What is this leadership development program for our residents look like because that we always talk about wanting to work ourselves out of a job and i truly want to do that i know that that's a long-term goal but i think about when it comes to public safety if i'm if we're not putting residents in a position to actually speak for themselves and know the language and know the processes to get to not only their city councilor their mayor their chief of police whoever that is so they can actually speak for themselves we're thinking through now, what does that look like? So we're truly developing a leadership development pipeline for our residents. And 
we're really excited about what that looks like. Like, like I said, I've always wanted to do it. And, and now it's, it's given us the opportunity. So when we see things happening real time in our communities, instead of us making the call, we're collectively making sure that they are put together and organized so they can do it for themselves. Thinking about our strategic plan, because we're in the midst of uh, going through another strategic plan with our board and our community and thinking about like, what does innovation truly look like? community Wi-Fi, like we saw that play out again in real time with COVID. We as a community are positioned to think about, okay, let's do it first. We've got all the partners at the table. Um, Everybody's now willing to listen. Uh, We've been wanting to, like I said, wanting to figure this out for a while. And so COVID has just given us like the yellow brick road. It's like, okay, it, it is hard. It is complicated to think about the true issues that are happening systemically. But now we're, we're willing and ready to put our money where our mouth is and even call to, to the carpet the, the partners that say, oh, we really want to remedy these issues. So we, we are positioned uh, as the community quarterback to not so much think about the day-to-day of what's happening because we, we do. But also like we get to think about what does this look like three to five years from now? What, are, what is the community going to need? Being predictive, making sure that they have access to all the tools and, and truly making sure that we put that in place. So instead of us having the deficit or thinking like always drinking from the firing hose, like no, really slowing things down and being really predictive as to what's about to happen. And now granted, we, we did not see COVID. We sure did not see COVID happening. But because we do have a lead organization here, because we have organized partnerships here, we were able to truly serve our community. And I think that's, that's the difference between a lot of the other communities within our city. And even thinking about how we've done work well, I look at Atlanta as a great example. You've got four different now network members in Atlanta. What does that look like now to do some technical assistance pieces for people or communities within Birmingham? And it might not be a formalized purpose-built community, but truly taking the lessons learned, what we've done well, what we've not done well, and truly giving another community the opportunity to see this growth. You know, as you were talking, I, my sort of next question was going to be about the uniqueness of being a place-based organization. But in some ways, I feel like your last answer sort of gave me a window into that. How do you see being place-based specifically, you know, in the next 18, let's say 18 to 24 months, do you see things being different or is it just a nuance for what you've been doing up until this point? We are proximate, and I think about Ryan Stevenson and all the things that he's always continually said. You cannot understand a, any issue or any thought of any person if you are not proximate and truly close to the things that are that they need. But even even the resources that they actually have. So, because we don't even think about community development in in which it's a resource base, or or we think about assets as well. Like, what does our community have? Like, what are the things that we can amplify and grow within them? So when I think about our work over the next 18 months, it, it's different. You know, we're getting ready to do another strategic plan. 
another master planning session with our residents and we're having to figure out, okay, how do we do that? How do we make sure that we keep them safe? How do we make sure we keep our team safe, but truly still get to the root and cause of like the work and making sure that we're, we're still continuing our work and what we do. So, you know, we're being innovative and thoughtful. And I think that's really great. I have a team that's just super like poised and positioned to just continually to think outside the box. And I don't limit them. I give them the abilities and the tools and then they just run. And so that's just always been really exciting for me to work with such amazing team members. But I also think about we are doing neighborhood association meetings virtually, like through Zoom. They've never used Zoom before. You've got an 80-year-old woman on a Zoom call. That's really exciting to see like these skills being transferred over and how our residents are just, they're accepting of it. Some of them are a little nervous about it, but for the most part, everybody's just really excited to still connect and still move the work forward. You know, so yes, it's nuanced, but it's still good. <laughs> In almost every response you've given, you've been you, you've pointed to community, which you know really goes to the heart of keeping them at the center. And we've talked a little bit about how they've been affected by COVID. And I'm curious in that getting proximate to people within your community, Black people as well as other people of color that might be in your community, or for that matter, whites or um, Asians that may be living there. How uh, are these racial tension? M- moments that we're in and seeing the issues around policing and Asheville just announced that it's going to move forward with reparations. How are are your community and members experiencing that? And how is that translating maybe even to how they're seeing your work and how they're seeing their interaction with you? Not you, either you personally or the community quarterback as a whole. We as an organization have always been and had this upfront conversation about one, the gentrification conversation and the race conversation. As stated before, I've seen Purpose Built really grow over the past few years and taking a step forward and saying that race is the center and focus of the issues that are happening within our communities. And in looking at it from that racial equity lens and then looking at systems and how that's been created around us. And so We've always been thoughtful in thinking about that conversation. Even when we talk about gentrification, we want economic development, but we don't want the displacement piece. I think that's really important when I think about redlining and I think about the historical things that have happened, not only in Woodlawn and across the country, we've been very open with these conversations within our our community. So when you think about Woodlawn, 70% Black, 20% Hispanic, and 10% white or other, you know, we've been having these conversations for a while. Um, so over the past few years, you know, my, the tenure of my uh, previous executive director, Sally Mackin, we were starting to have these conversations and bringing partners in and having true conversations wrapped around race. And they were hard and they still are ugly and they still happen to this day. And so when I think about what's happening not only within our city, because we actually saw, you know, civil and social unrest happen here, play out real time. And we were actually on lockdown within our city. We were positioned to truly have that conversation before. And so now it's on us to make sure that we're continuing the conversation. But even going forward, like what does systems change look like? What does giving access to people and communities that have never had access before look like? And so 
we get to think about those answers and responses and listen to our community members constantly and always have these conversations. And it's a healthy balance. I mean, even to this day, we've got 12 or 13 new people, different socioeconomic status moved into our community with market rate homes. And, you know, we had to have a very detailed and and thoughtful conversation about, okay, you're an early adopter of a revitalization process, but there are people that have been here for years. How do you coexist? How do you become a part and embedded within this community? Because culturally, we want to see the same things happen, the things that have made Woodlawn be Woodlawn, the matriarchs, the sewing, the, the true community grassroots level of organizing and leadership. How do we continue that, but still usher in this new diverse group of people as they're moving in and and, and that healthy balance? So that's conversation. You know, there are many times that I'm in the middle of some very interesting conversations between new residents and and people that have been here for years. And I think it's it's providing a space and even rallying rallying around different causes. One thing that has affected every single person, regardless of Black, White, Asian, Hispanic, our socioeconomic background is public safety here. So we, we, we bring and convene people together, residents, stakeholders, and just we are having these honest conversations. I'm like, you know what? It's not just your problem. It's all of our problems. So when you think about rallying around specific issues, that's been one of the tools that's been good for us. Like I think about our Sunday dinner. So Woodlawn Sunday dinner uh, happens every October. And basically it is soul food and live music. And literally we block off one of the streets in our, in our neighborhood. And we have a huge table going down the center of the street and it is a soulful dinner. So we have restaurants from across the city, basically providing different pieces uh, to the, to the meal and live music. Um, Every year has been something different. One year it rained, one year it was too cold and one year it was too hot. And this year we got, we got COVID. So we're going to figure something out. But it has been truly an event that's brought so many different people together. And the, the community is excited about it. The internal community, our partners are excited about it. And it just gives us the ability to show off all the different things that are happening within Woodlawn and share a meal together. And I think that's to the soul and true trueness of what Woodlawn is. Like it's built around food and soul and, and love. And I'm just it's just really exciting to see everybody come together. You've got you know, a corporate sponsor sitting next to Miss Darlena King, and she's sitting there telling her about her grandkids and how excited she is to be here. And they're telling them about their families. And you truly stripping down titles into who people are and getting to a humanness. I've seen that happen at Sunday dinner, and it's just always really good to see. I mean, what you're talking about, I love, and the energy that you bring to uh, your work is energizing for me, is, is that the infrastructure is important. The systems are important. The buildings and all of those things are important. And yet what you are indicating in your conversation, it's that relationship is at its core and that um, not only do you have to worry about those bigger things, but you have to find those moments that works with the culture and the history of the neighborhood to be able to bring people together And I love what you said about, you know, like you're an early, there's some people that are early adopters and it's not just about that piece of property that they have and not understanding what else is happening in the neighborhood. 
because that's how sort of the shifts, right, in our society that we're hoping for to come out of this, you know, challenging moment, that we are a, a lot more interdependent, that we're a lot more able to speak across dif- difference and not see that as something that is some a big deal. It, it's, it's, it's what we have to do to be in community together. If I could switch just a little bit, because, you know, you talked a little bit about that. You were talking about housing, right? You were saying you have townhomes, you have single family um, homes. And in fact, when I first came to Purpose Built in 2016, Birmingham was always the city that we talked about that has a single family solution in addition to, you know, a, a mixed income rental situation. And now we're seeing many more of our community quarterbacks are, that are struggling. So you all were at the forefront of that. But I do want to talk a little bit about, you mentioned a new school. I want to give you an opportunity to share a little bit about that and particularly Again, how you're seeing this school year sort of shaping up, which is, of course, what's on everybody's mind right now. How do we do the right thing from an educational lens? And yeah, shifting to um, school and education, we are really excited to be partnering with I3 Academy. Uh, They are opening in about a month. And it's been really interesting to see. I actually got a chance to walk through the school um, probably about a couple hours ago. I try to go... Not every week, um, every couple weeks, just to see what the progress is and, and to see like the furniture being moved in, watching their social media with their teachers that are really excited about, you know, truly an innovative option and opportunity within Birmingham. So, you know, I3 is not the first charter here in Birmingham. It will probably be the second within our city. And, and we know that others are coming. And, you know, historically, we've worked with the traditional public schools and had a partnership for years. Um, Our contract did end with them last year and, you know, we're still trying to figure out ways like how do we partner with traditional public schools and then merge the opportunity, which is an I3 Academy with smaller classrooms, innovation and thoughtful practices that are, that are being basically given to us by purpose-built schools, which is the the Drew model, which has been successful and proven in Atlanta. So at the leadership and helm of Dr. Martin Nalls, he is welcoming his staff and individually trying to figure out like, okay, what, how do you protect your staff? How do you protect your students? And, you know, one that I'm not a parent, I don't have children, but to see the anguish and the thought process of like, how do you protect your children? You want them to be able to learn in an innovative and thoughtful environment, but like, what are the things and processes that we're putting in play? And so we're working with him and looking at, you know, plexiglass dividers for students, thinking about like, what are alternatives to masks? Because we want them to wear masks, but it's going to be hard for a kindergartner to keep a mask on throughout the day. But then also thinking about the safety of our, of our teachers, because, you know, without them, the work does not happen within the school building. So it, it is a process. You know, I, I, can, I can't sit here and say that we have all the answers, but one thing we are doing is we're listening to our parents and what they need and giving them opportunities, whether they want to do some virtual, whether they want to do in person or a dual model where it's both. We're, we're trying to figure out and, and think about what does that look like? But at the center and source, we are truly backing and supporting I3. We want to make sure that they're successful, um, not only because it's for the benefit of the neighborhood, but also because we want to show that truly our students, when given the right environment, the right tools and access, they will excel. Regardless socioeconomically where they come from, they will excel and we know that they can. And 
you know, it's, it, I'm not going to sit here and say that it hasn't been a controversial topic. I know it is across our country, but you know, I don't get to think about what well, I do. I get to think about politics, but I get to think about truly who are we serving? What do they need? How do we bring that and give them access and all the other noise that actually posted something today on my social media about the guardrails, staying focused on the cause and what we need to do. And we're here truly to serve I3 and, and their students and families, and even thinking about innovative practices for our traditional public, because that's not something that's with outside, outside of us too. A majority of our students are now still within the traditional public schools. And we just got alerted that they will be uh, going digital for the first nine weeks. How do we step in as a community partner and take some of the load off, particularly for Woodlawn and our parents to figure out, okay, what's the community Wi-Fi access? What's the technology piece? And how can we basically be in partnership with the traditional public to help them remedy some of those problems? There was just so much that you um, shared in that that uh, I just want to to lift up as I, as I was lifting. I mean, I mean, I think one of the things that I admire about you and other community quarterback leaders as well as boards is, yeah, sometimes you're put in that tough situation. None of these decisions are easy, but you know you're sitting at that in the at the center of public schools and charter. Things may be controversial, but at the end of the day, you had to think about what is needed for that neighborhood. And then the other thing that I really am hearing you say in this is, as we navigate this, and it's all very complex, you're thinking about how the community quarterback can be that anchor and that um, partner so that whatever needs to happen, and we don't all know how this is going to unfold for the school year, but that you can be an agile and a flexible partner who, as long as you can get aligned on, here's what we're trying to do. It, it sounds like you're working with your education partner to say what we thought we were going to do in the beginning may not be this, but how do we navigate this um, together? So I just think that that's such a great example of amplifying the power of partnership and relationship, but also agility and getting to, at the end of the day, what's our end game? Not what our strategy was when we started, but given the moment, what is um, the strategy that we have to focus on? I I'm curious, Mashonda, what have you learned about yourself in doing this work and being a leader who's passionate um, for the Woodlawn Foundation and community? Oh, my. Um, so a couple things. I've learned to pivot and to not be so hard on myself. Cause like, if I can't figure out the answer now, it'll come. And, you know, I have a, like I said, I have a really great team of people that truly are invested and they, we push and pull on each other and we're really thoughtful. So that's always been good. And, and I've been relying on my team. I think it's so easy to get bogged down and thinking like, okay, I'm in this by myself. I'm not. And there are some times and some decisions that I do have to make on my own. And, you know, I take those decisions a day at a time, a moment at a time. But I've, I've just been really, I think I've been more introspective. I've been way more quiet than I've normally been. I'm an, I'm an extrovert. I'm truly an extrovert. I am. But even just being quiet, setting some boundaries for my life and just truly like, okay, I can't deal with that right now. Let me compartmentalize this right now and I will go back to it. And normally I'm like, Hey, let's get it done. Let's get it done. Let's get it done. And no, just truly taking time to think because there are certain things that are truly emergency situations and we deal with those. But there are some times when you're like, no, 
pause, take a moment, think about it, and then go back. And I, I've, I've learned to do that. And, and you have to, you kind of got to figure out what that is and what that balance is in this position. And over the past few months, I've had to learn that. Like, you know, I, I'm a true believer in leadership development and leadership thought. Um, that's what my master's is in. That's what my background, background is in. But it's something to be in the seat. It's a different feeling. It's a completely different feeling. It's gratifying and exciting. It's also scary too, but it's been the best thing that I've done. And people are like, how are you handling it over the past few months? I'm like, day at a time. Sometimes it's a moment. <laughs> you're learning and you're believing in your own development. And you're also re- uh, recognizing that this is, this is not a sprint. It is, uh, you know, a long-term marathon and you got to take care of yourself. Um, and, and be reflective. So I, I love that. What haven't we talked about that it'd be great for us to hear about either something that's happening that you want to brag on in um, Woodlawn or um, something that's coming up that it'd be great for our listeners to to understand a little bit more? Um, yeah, I, I, I want to brag specifically like on our our whole team, I think about all the work that we've been doing over the past few months. We went through a tax credit deal, a new market tax credit deal. We signed a $15 million development deal with Rasa Development for our school. People didn't think that was going to happen or close within COVID, and it actually did. So that's been really exciting, thinking about the new development that's happening for single family, our single family detached, partnering with the Housing Authority Birmingham Division. Uh, where we are actually going to start thinking about what does single family transitioning from affordable housing or uh, public housing, Section 8 vouchers, look like and now putting people in the position to own. You know, that median piece is always very hard to develop and build, but thinking about what this partnership look like and how do we leverage the ability and, and figure out with partnerships, how do we make that happen for our residents? So now we're in a position to put residents who have never owned a home before and thinking about sustainability that's how you build wealth and grow community you put people in a position in which they can own so we're going through process and working with uh, residents doing a new home ownership workshop thinking about all the different things that that's necessary for them to be successful and providing them the tools so they can actually get and do for themselves so we have eight townhomes that will build uh, detached and then we will have rental opportunities and then a single family opportunity within the community. So they're going to own, you know, this is, this is, that's been the hardest part. And when we think about the true purpose built model in Alabama, we didn't have the legislation to put together a mixed income housing a development truly. So we had to do affordable with our low income housing tax credit deal with the, the Parkerwood station then we had to do market and now we're truly getting into that medium piece. And so we're really excited about what that looks like and thinking about long-term, how do we find development partners that are like-minded and thoughtful like us and try to figure out what are the economic levers so we can put people in position to own. We're really excited about that. <laughs> that is, again, it kind of goes back to we're showing your foresight of, you know, the things that are really at center stage right now, right in this moment is all of these things are important and they're steps to a larger a goal and to address systemic challenges and inequities we've had before. But 
this idea of sustainability and economic mobility, you, you know, you're, you're talking about it in a very clear way about what you're trying to bring to community. It has been such a pleasure talking to you, Mashanda, and hearing a little bit about what's going on in the energy that you um, bring. Again, I just invite you, anything else that you want to share with us that we, my question somehow didn't give you an opportunity to either brag on or give us a window in, uh, into, you know, something else that you're thinking. I, I am just, you know, at the end of the day, I just want to make sure that we are developing not only a team and giving them the ability to grow within themselves so they can serve and work with our communities better, but then also working with our community so they can, again, sustain and support themselves. So when we think about partnership and truly being rooted as that community quarterback, we are just thinking about the long term. Like, what does three, five, 10 years look like? How are we making sure that we are positioned not only to serve and work with our community, but then think about policy shifts that need to be happening across our city, state, and country? About, like, when we think about affordable housing and when we think about high quality affordable housing. How are we using our knowledge and the things that we've learned at a community level, the proximate level, to truly get engaged with our community leaders and even our, our, our legislatures and senators to think about, okay, these are what we've seen. These are the issues that we've seen. How do we truly address these systemic issues? So I think about where we sit in the real-time work that we do. But none of this is, it's all of this for naught if we don't think about what is the bigger picture how do we play into that? How do we use our data and the information that we've gathered in a real-time level to think about the gentrification conversation and how do we truly make and position it for people of color and communities of color and thinking about you know, the things that we've learned and how things have played out over the years. How do we fix them and truly address them? Well, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. It's been good to see you virtually. We'll be, we'll be together again. Thank you so much. I miss you. Can't wait to see you in person. just had an incredible conversation with Mashonda Taylor about the exciting and innovative things that they are doing with in partnership with community in terms of infrastructure, but also really about the human spirit and how they're taking care of community.